the nagging. Naturalist. It's the Nagging Naturalist Podcast. Hey everyone, and welcome to another episode of the Nagging Naturalist. Now, I'm still on a bit of a break, so there is no animal of the month this month. However, if any of you are on Twitter right now, you will see the epic battle that's happening between slugs and fishes, specifically marine sea slugs and marine fishes, ray-finned fishes, I think. To be honest, we haven't gotten a whole lot of clarification. I think sharks are excluded, and I think maybe some lobe-finned fishes, but either way, just most marine bony fishes. I honestly don't know what triggered this to happen, but I'm excited that it did happen because I've been having an absolute blast just inundating my Twitter feed with information about sea slugs, nudibranchs in particular, which are an animal that I am very passionate about. They are actually an animal that I consider to be what helped inspire me to become a naturalist because when I first lived in California, I had seen nothing like them before. And when I was introduced to them volunteering at the Monterey Bay Aquarium, I was absolutely blown away by the incredible beauty and diversity and insane adaptations that these slugs had. Did not think that sea slugs would be what did it for me. (laughs) It was an incredible revelation, and it's what really got me both into becoming a naturalist and also put me on team invert pretty quickly. But anyway, going back to the battle. So it's a week-long battle. Well, sort of week-long. It's basically going Monday through Thursday, and then we're voting on essentially who wins this battle on Friday. So if you have a Twitter account, make sure that you keep an eye out. Uh, there's a hashtag that you can follow. Hashtag slugs versus fish or slugs versus fishes. Either one really works. But if you hop on that hashtag, you will see the incredible amount of information that's been posted about both fish and slugs. It's been absolutely amazing. I've learned a lot, and it's just so exciting. And hopefully, if you go through it, it will help convince you that Team Slug is where it's at, <laughs> and you'll vote for us, the slugs. I think, uh, what's our hashtag? Sea Slug Squad. <laughs> That's team. It's been hashtag Team Nudibranch or Team Nudie. Uh, team Slug and the Sea Slug Squad. So you can also check out those hashtags and they will connect you to some really cool information as well if you're interested in learning about these really amazing invertebrates. Well, honestly, you're going to have to learn about it because that's what this episode's about is nudibranchs. So by the time this episode airs tomorrow, Wednesday, uh, there will be the theme of mimicry. So throughout this week, we've had different themes. Monday was diversity. Today, which is Tuesday, It's been predation, and tomorrow, which will be your today, is mimicry. And I want to talk about my favorite nudibranch species because it is an incredible master of mimicry. But before we get into that, I did want to cover a little bit about what nudibranchs are because they might be new to some people. So when we classify slugs, we start out, of course, in the kingdom of animals. The phylum is mollusks. So phylums come just after kingdom. We are the phylum chordates, which is because we have a notochord, which gives us a spine. Everybody else who's not in the chordates are invertebrates. 
So mollusca or mollusks are inverts. And the mollusk phylum is pretty diverse, even though when people hear the term mollusk, they often think of slugs or snails. It also includes the bivalves, so oysters, clams, and scallops, animals like that. And it also includes cephalopods. So relatives of slugs include octopuses and cuttlefish and squid. So pretty diverse family. You go from the very simple two-shelled bivalve like an oyster all the way up to what's considered the most intelligent invertebrate in the ocean, the octopus. You have a pretty diverse group right there. Then we have our class, which comes after phylum, and it's gastropod or gastropoda. And gastropods, still pretty diverse. That's basically your slugs and your snails. That's the group. And then there's a little bit of a mess in between the class to the order because there's been a lot of reshuffling of classifications with the nudibranchs, and they're actually what's considered unranked parts of their classification. So the nudibranchs are part of the order nudibranchia, but nudibranchia is also sometimes considered an unranked clade. And I'm not going to explain clades because clades are this absolute mess in taxonomy. Very often when a clade exists, uh, sometimes clades are used as almost like placeholders. Like, we're not quite sure where this fits. We know these things are related. And so we're going to like bookmark them right here with a clade and we'll figure that out later. <laughs> it's, it's, it's a thing. And it's why I would never torture myself with being a taxonomist is because it's, it's quite the undertaking to sort and reorganize some of the messes that get left behind from previous taxonomists who may have classified based on things like a, a lot of classical taxonomy was based off of just the physical appearances and some of the behaviors or maybe where they lived. And modern day has shown us that that's not necessarily always a good idea because when you have things like convergent evolution where completely unrelated animals get similar adaptations, and especially if they live in the same place, just because they have those similar adaptations doesn't mean that they're related to each other. Yes, they may look very similar, but they're obviously separate. That happens a lot in the natural world. I know we may not discuss it a lot when we talk about wildlife, but trust me when I say there are, are a lot of animals that have doppelgangers that are completely unrelated to them throughout the animal kingdom. So while invertebrates, at least, it's not too bad because you have bones and skeletal structures that kind of help inform you, the okapi is a really good example. While we may look at an okapi on the outside and may not immediately think, okay, that's related to giraffes, if you strip away the external appearance of the outside and look at its skull, it can be mistaken for a giraffe skull. And so, you know, those kinds of things, those kinds of clues can help really inform us when we don't necessarily have DNA evidence to show the actual genetic relatedness of animals. However, in invertebrates, <laughs> you can't quite do that. They don't have uh, skulls or skeletons, so it can be a little tricky. And groups like the nudibranchs are uh, in need of a little taxonomic cleanup, basically. Anyway, moving on. So we have the nudibranchs, and that is their 
clade slash order. Now, when I was first learning about nudibranchs, they were divided basically into two groups. So you had the aeolid nudibranchs and the dorid nudibranchs. And there were some that kind of came in and out. Like a lot of people talk about the uh, cyclosicans or solar-powered nudibranchs. And a lot of people thought that they were nudibranchs, but they actually aren't. They are a sea slug, but they're not a nudibranch. And so some animals have kind of passed in and out of this group. And as far as I know, there has been a little bit of reorganization since I first learned about nudibranchs. There's still the dorids. And while we have aeolids, aeolids, it's almost kind of like, you know, turtles. A tortoise can be called a turtle, but not all turtles are tortoises kind of thing. Turtle's a very broad term, but when we're talking about animals specifically, not everybody's a turtle. That was a really roundabout way of saying that. I'm sorry I said it. (laughs) Some people still call it the aeolids, but because it's not as accurate, the group is now called the cladobranchs. So the cladobranchs include the aeolids, but they do have other groups. But we're going to focus on aeolids because that's where my babies are. Now, aeolid nudibranchs are one of my favorite groups. So there are, you know, so many different kinds of amazing nudibranchs with really amazing adaptations. But as somebody who grew up a really big fan of Rogue from X-Men as a young child, I like the Aeolid nudibranchs because they basically do that exact thing. They actually are able to steal the weapons or powers of the animals that they prey upon. Aeolids are defined by a set of external gills. All nudibranchs have it. Nudibranch means naked gill, and basically they have external gills, although they are able to respirate in other parts of their bodies. The external gills give them extra surface area with which to absorb oxygen. In dorids, it's these little brachial plumes that look like feathers or little ruffles. I like to call them butt ruffles because it's Well, the ruffles go around their anus, so it's literally butt ruffles. In aeolids, though, it's serrata. So serrata sounds like a weird word if you're not familiar with it, but serrata basically look like these spiky protrusions coming out of their back. Although they're not spiky at all, they're actually very squishy. But it's this finger-like tendril that comes out and stops at a point. Now, those serrata are unique because not only do they help them respirate, It also contains part of their digestive tract. Now, why would you put your digestive tract through this organ that helps you breathe? When aeolids eat their prey, most typically prey on cnidarians, so stinging animals. Think jellyfish, corals, hydroids, sea anemones, all those animals that had that stinging cell, which is known as a cnidocyte. That's where the name cnidarian comes from, is their cnidocytes, their stinging cells. So when they eat those, they will sometimes they will set off some of the stingers because that's what these animals do is uh, in order to protect a cnidarian, their stingers go off. However, because of the adaptations of the slugs, not all of the stingers will necessarily trigger, and they may be able to consume some unused stingers, and their bodies allow those stingers to pass unharmed through their digestive tract. And any unused stingers in their bodies get stored in their serrata, specifically at the tip. 
So in the tip of the serrata, there is a tiny little sac called a nido sac. <laughs> and it's specifically meant to collect the stingers of these animals. Basically, to sum this up, TLDR, these guys eat stinging animals like jellyfish and sea anemones and then store their unused stingers in their body to, to use as their own protection. These guys, what they will do is if they are in danger, they can kind of make their serrata rigid and point in the direction of what's endangering them. And then their nidosacs can expel, shoot out the stingers. And if the stingers come in contact with whatever is endangering the slug, they'll go off and sting it, just like it would for a jellyfish. So just like Rogue was able to steal the powers of other mutants... These guys can steal the powers of other animals, specifically the ones that they prey on, though. To be fair, I can't pretend like they can do this with any animal, though that would be really cool if they could. But then they'd be overpowered, and it would throw off the mechanics of nature. That's the Aeolids. There's so many other things to discuss about them, but I'm not going to try to drag this out into a long five-hour tirade of me talking about how amazing nudibranchs are. But just know that they're incredible. Within the Aeolids, we work our way down through multiple families, and then when we get down to the genus level, there is one particular genus I want to focus on called Phylodesmium. Phylodesmium is a group of Aeolid nudibranchs that are found in the Indo-Pacific area. They're typically found in warm temperate waters, as well as tropical waters, because a lot of people associate nudibranchs with tropical reefs. Not all nudibranchs live in tropical places. So these nudibranchs are usually found around the waters of Japan, Tasmania, and South Africa. And if you think about how far south South Africa and Tasmania are, it can get pretty chilly in those waters. So definitely not those warm tropical waters that we typically see a lot of different nudibranchs in. This group of nudibranchs is known for their mimicry. So they eat a group of soft corals called octocorals. So let's talk about this just briefly. So most people, when they think of corals, they think of that classic hard coral that has the rigid calcified skeleton and then the colorful little polyps and algaes. While that's a very common kind of coral in shallow reefs, there are also soft corals that do not have that hard calcified skeleton but they still can be very colorful because, of course, they still have the polyps that store the algae, and the algae gives it all kinds of pretty colors. And there are many different kinds of soft corals, including things like sea pins and gorgonians. They're very attractive if you've never seen one. I've had the fortune of seeing them at the Monterey Bay Aquarium when I volunteered there, and they're absolutely stunning. And very often they come in some really awesome reds and orange colors. Now, octocoral, of course, means eight, and the reason why they get that name is the polyps have only eight tentacles. So if you're unfamiliar with what a polyp looks like, if you think about a sea anemone, like from Finding Nemo, and you take a sea anemone and you shrink it down to the size of, you know, the tip of a pencil, that's about how big most polyps are. They're super duper tiny animals, and that's what creates coral. These polyps duplicate themselves, they clone themselves, and they build up this colony of clones 
that live together and the polyps will have certain jobs depending on where they are in the coral. It's really amazing. Corals are an animal that really doesn't get a lot of attention because one, most people don't think it's an animal. And two, I don't think most people realize that they're related to jellyfish and their polyps actually sting unless you've gone diving and you've touched fire coral, in which case you do know that they can sting really badly. But anyway, they are this very attractive coral. And while they can be colorful, there are plenty of octocorals that actually don't have color. And when you look in the genus Philodesmium, you'll notice that a lot of these sea slugs are not as colorful as many other nudibranchs. Because if you just Google nudibranchs, you will just be inundated with this rainbow array of super colorful and vibrant sea slugs for the most part. But if you look for certain species like the Philodesmium or Melibi, those genuses are typically clear to whitish, brownish, greenish opaqueishness. <laughs> That's the best way I can think to describe it. They're, they're usually not containing any vibrant colors. And even if they do have some color, it's usually still monochromatic. They very rarely have more than one color to them. The reason why these guys are these colors, though, is because they are mimicking their food. So the octocorals that they eat are typically colorless. They don't really have a lot of vibrancy the way some species of octocoral do. So there's no real reason for these sea slugs to mimic with color because it doesn't exist. It's pretty simple. So then we get to the species I want to highlight, Philodesmium iremotense. It's named after the island Iremote, which is a prefecture of Okinawa, Japan. If you're unfamiliar, south of Japan, there is a group of islands called the Ryuku Islands. And while most people may be familiar with Okinawa in particular, because it is the biggest of the islands, and it also has American military bases. So I actually grew up there on an American military base. So some people are familiar with it because of that. And also because it has really amazing and unique culture. There are other islands and Iremote Island is one of those islands there. This slug, for the time being, has only been found in reef areas around the waters of Iremote and just like the Okinawan waters in general. It hasn't really been seen outside of this area. Like most in Philodesmium, they also eat octocorals and they are colored similar to their octocorals. However, unlike some of Philodesmium, they do not utilize the algae that lives in the coral. As I mentioned before with corals, they often get their color from the algae that lives in them, which is called zooxanthellae. Zooxanthellae is typically a pretty broad term that's used to describe the symbiotic algae that lives in many corals, well, coral polyps in particular, and sometimes gives them color. Now, some of Philodesmium has the ability to eat and absorb that algae Instead of absorbing just the stingers, or only the stingers like a lot of aeolids do, they can also borrow and have a symbiotic relationship with the algae the way that the coral does. And sometimes they get that name, solar-powered nudibranch, much like the Sagloxkins. Sagloxkins. Sacagloskins. I don't know why I can't say this right today. Sacagloskins. I don't know why that word kills me every time I try to say it. I'm grateful that they're not real nudibranchs, so I don't have to say their names as often. But similar to how I mentioned those solar-powered sea slugs before, 
these are true nudibranchs who have sort of the same ability. Now, it's different in them. Arguably, it's simply convergent evolution. It's it's not that they are so closely related that they share this adaptation. They're actually not that closely related. It just happens to be that the Sacaglossans have this ability, and so does the Philodesmium. And probably the reason why Philodesmium has it is because they already had the ability to steal things from their prey as Aeolids. And in addition to being able to steal stingers, now some of these nudibranchs can also steal the zoosanthelae of the corals. The species I'm referring to does not have that ability. Even though it doesn't have that ability, the reason why I want to highlight it is because of the appearance of it. This is a ghostly looking nudibranch. If you've never seen one, I would highly recommend Googling a picture of it. And if you need help doing that, because the scientific name is lengthy and confusing, and unfortunately this nudibranch is not well known enough to have a common name, you only get the scientific name. So I'll spell it out, just to make it easy so you don't have to go Googling everywhere. <laughs> so the genus Philodesmium is P-H-Y-L-L-O-D-E-S. M-I-U-M. And then the species name, Irimotens, is I-R-I-O-M-O-T-E-N-S-E. Google a picture of it, and you'll see that they have this unearthly beauty about them. And actually, if you're following my Twitter, you might have actually seen me already post a picture of one with an emperor shrimp writing on it, which is actually fairly common. If you Google some pictures of nudibranchs, you'll see little emperor shrimp like the hitch a ride on them. It's absolutely adorable. But anyway, getting back to this absolutely stunning animal. If you look at it, it's mostly clear for the most part, or at least semi-transparent in most cases. And it's really amazing to see the way that their serrata, you can kind of see like veins in their serrata, and it creates this webbing effect, this opaque white webbing effect inside of their semi-translucent whitish-blue serrata. And they look ghostly to me. I remember the first time I saw a picture of one of these nudibranchs. It had been, I was part of a nudibranch group on Facebook. And some and there are lots of divers always posting all their outrageously gorgeous pictures of nudibranchs. And for some odd reason, you know, I, I love the colorful nudibranchs, but there is something eerily beautiful about the appearance of Philodesmium that just caught my attention. And I started, you know, I asked them what species the nudibranch was. They told me what it was and I started Googling it and I fell into this absolute rabbit hole <laughs> of just looking at these beautiful nudibranchs. And I fell in love and unfortunately, there's not a lot of information about them out there. You know, it's one of those animals that is highly underrated and therefore highly under-researched. The really sad part about wildlife biology and conservation is if you don't have a good PR agent in society to help promote you, nobody researches you sometimes. And it's really unfortunate because these are absolutely incredible animals. And I wish I could say that someday I will be doing an animal of the month about this species, but I won't be able to. 
In fact, with most species of nudibranch, it's really hard to do. I would probably have to talk about a group of nudibranchs versus a species in order to have enough information to have a discussion about them. But they're absolutely beautiful, and I really just wanted to kind of share that with everybody because, one, my radio silence may or may not have been noticed on Facebook and Instagram because I've been focusing all of my energy on Twitter, trying to (laughs) convince people that Team Slug is the way to go. But also, I just... I really wanted to share with people what I was doing on Twitter. And I felt, I kind of feel bad that Facebook and Instagram weren't getting as much love. So hopefully this podcast episode can kind of help make up for it and let people know that I haven't forgotten about my other accounts. I've just, I've poured so much love and energy into this one thing. And unfortunately, as far as I know, it only exists on Twitter and not really Instagram or Facebook. You know, if I'm going to, if I'm going to admit it, I have a bias towards Twitter. And if anybody follows me on Twitter and my other social media, they will notice that there's a lot more activity on my Twitter than on my Instagram and Facebook. And part of that's also the nonsense of algorithms, because once you make one post on like Facebook, if you make more posts, the algorithm doesn't let people see those other posts as much as your first post. And it's just nonsense. And I hate I hate trying to be one of those people that, you know, looks up all the best times to post things and all the right hashtags and whatnot. It just, it's not something I want to put my time and energy into. I would rather put my time and energy into making really good content. So I apologize to my Instagram and Facebook followers. I don't try to neglect you, but if we're going to be real, Facebook and Instagram just does not facilitate a great place to talk about wildlife. But anyway, that's that's my episode this week. I just wanted to have fun and rant a bit about my favorite animals. Please feel free to reach out if you have any questions, if you want to learn more. I am more than happy to talk to anybody for extensive periods of time about nudibranchs, slugs and snails, gastropods, mollusks, just invertebrates in general. I mean, I can talk about vertebrates if we're talking from the standpoint of my degree and even just my educational background too, with working in zoos, aquariums, museums, as an educator and volunteer, I have a very broad background. I know a lot about many different animals. In fact, more than once I have used my knowledge of fish against team fish. Even though I have such a broad background with animals, I will admit I do have a soft spot in my my heart for the inverts. I want to give love to my invertebrates, especially my underrated slugs, because they don't have a great reputation in society. And I'm more than happy to be that PR agent (laughs) who can help make them more popular in society. Oh, I'll I'll end my rant here (laughs) and wrap up this episode. Thank you all so much for listening. I'm sorry that this month has been as odd as it has been just kind of all over the place. It's just two more episodes left this month. And then I will, if, if my grades are doing well, I will try to put more energy into an animal of the month again. But like I've said before, it, it takes a lot out of me to develop it, especially that first episode with how long it is. I put a lot into that, but thank you so much. If you have any questions or comments, please feel free to reach out to my email the naturalist at the naggingnaturalist.com. And you can also check out my website, the naggingnaturalist.com, where you can view all of my previous podcast episodes. 
on social media, you can find me on The Nagging Naturalist on Facebook and Instagram, as I mentioned. And my Twitter handle is at nag underscore naturalist. You can also leave me reviews on Apple Podcasts and podchaser.com to help support my podcast and kind of get the word out. And I do want to note that as far as I know for the moment, I am technically on all podcast platforms. I don't know if I ever officially announced that or not. I constantly forget what I have or haven't said because school really drains my brain space. (laughs) And I I didn't really do this with my first episode of the month like I normally do, but I do want to give a shout out to all the other wonderful wildlife and science podcasts that I listen to and support. I'm sure there's more. My list is always growing, but I just want to give a shout out to these particular podcasts. And if you want to listen to other great content and you haven't heard these, please go check them out. There's All Creatures Podcast. There's CritterCast, Just the Zoo of Us, Animals to the Max, Varmints, Amazing Wildlife Podcast, The Casual Birder, What Are You Podcast, The Songbirding Podcast, and Strange Animals Podcast. And all of these are safe for work podcasts. Now, I do have some really awesome not safe for work podcasts like Keeper Chat and Petri Dish as well. They're really wonderful. They create funny content. Just, you know, if you're at work, put in some headphones. (laughs) Don't play it out loud unless you live in that kind of workspace, in which case, send me a job application. You can also check out the other podcast I do. It's not wildlife related, but if you're a fan of the world of Avatar The Last Bend, <laughs> the world of Avatar The Last Airbender and The Legend of Korra, I'm also a co-host to Legend of Portalcast, which is run by my friend Colin. I had a few episodes back just this, I think it was a three or four part series of me just going off about how amazing Toph was in the original Avatar series. So If you love my girl Toph, go listen to those episodes and you can tell me what you think because in addition to wildlife, I will also talk people's heads off about Toph. (laughs) But anyway, thanks again for listening. Uh, Thank you so much for those of you who have tolerated my deluge of nudibrant content on Twitter. And again, I'm sorry to all of my fans on Facebook and Instagram. I'll try to be better in the future. I'll be back next week with some other new random episode, whatever I can figure out. And please be sure to stay tuned for more about the wonderful world of wildlife.